This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. On this edition of Gun on One, the podcast, frustrating is the best way to describe this Eagle season. This team has been decimated by injuries and the losses have piled up. In recent weeks, we've seen some good, but a whole lot of bad has hovered over this team all season long. We bring in former NFL linebacker Seth Joyner to break down the highs and a whole lot of lows. So get ready to handle the truth as only Seth can deliver it on this edition of Gun on One, the podcast. Everybody, we are up and running once again on another edition of Gunner One, the podcast. I'm Derek Gunn, as we always do. We like to thank you each and every week for uh, hanging out with us. Uh, we, of course, we wish you could be on better terms. You know, this Eagles team, you know, they, they just rip your heart out lately. Um, and obviously, uh, injuries play a big factor into what has happened to the demise of this team. The offense is showing some positive signs as of late, but as a whole, they still can't find a way to get over the hump which, of course, has led to them being in the bottom of the basement, basically in the NFC East. So I brought in a special guest for this particular podcast because he is a special individual to me, has been for years. He is a former colleague of mine. He will always be a close friend of mine, former NFL great linebacker, and, of course, currently he is also a part of the podcast Mania Across America. He is the one and only Seth Joyner. My man, thank you for joining me. How you doing? Man, I am doing fantastic. I wish, you know, things were a little better as far as our birds are concerned. But, you Woo! know, God is good. And, you know, I've been blessed. And, you know, life is great, man. So before we get too far gone into the show, I just want to remind everybody, Seth Joyner, of course, I, I want you guys out there to watch and listen. The Seth Joyner Show, it is live on Tuesday nights at 7.30 on Facebook and, of course, YouTube at Seth Joyner. You don't want to miss it. This man is always honest, insightful, and entertaining as well. And I was fortunate <laughs> enough to be on this podcast, and so I'm, I appreciate him coming on mine. And well, Seth, we look at this team where they stand now, man. Uh, one four and one, 
six games into the season. We never anticipated this happening to this team, but such is the case. And you look at their most recent performance uh, against the Baltimore Ravens, very similar to what we've seen from this team for much of the year. A chance to get a W, but somehow, some way, finding a way to shoot themselves in the foot. You agree or disagree? No, I agree. I think the every single, you know, for all the things that went right in 2017 and that magical Super Bowl year, it seems like, you know, the um, the decisions, the chances that you take, going forward and being aggressive, um, it, it seems like all of those things are going in the other direction for this football team right now. You know, the, the injuries have been a, a, an issue for years, but I don't think I've ever seen a team – um, experience the type of injuries that the Eagles are experiencing. You know, you're not talking about second team guys stepping in. You're talking about third team, fourth team guys, guys coming up off the practice squad, snatching guys off of other people's rosters and activating them within the same week. Um, so it's to be expected that the that the continuity is not going to be what it really should be, given, you know, no OTAs, you know, no preseason games you know, and limited practice time and all of those types of things. But um, I don't think anybody saw this football team sitting at one, four and one after, after six weeks. After the uh, Ravens game, the head coach, Doug Peterson said, we're exactly where we should be one, four and one. And I think that's a statement of desperation and frustration. And in a lot of ways, you know, when you, when you talk about how this team has been decimated, it's a statement of, what do you want me to do? All we can do is keep going back out there and giving it our best shot. Right. Well, I think, you know, he's being as brutally honest as he could. Um, I don't know if that's where you should be. I think that's just where you are under the circumstances. Um, you know, and, and I think there's a, a, a major level of frustration with Doug. And you could see it in his post-game press conference. Um, you know, he talked about everything. You know, I think um, Les Bowen asked him a question, why were you so ineffective in the first half in comparison to the second half? And there was like this silence, you know, that you never hear, you know, in a press conference. And he said, well, let me take a breath for a minute. And I think that was just a frustration. He said, you know, we can't keep, you know, making mistakes. We can't keep turning the ball over. We can't keep dropping passes. Um, he says, you know, execution, you know, is a major is a major reason why we aren't accomplishing the things that we want to accomplish. And I think for the first time, you know, that you're starting to see Doug a little frustrated, you know, even with his own play calling, mm -hmm. he said, because you know what, Hey, I could call play better plays. I could have put Carson in a better situation for that two point conversion, or maybe I, you know, he's not going to admit this, but I think that the, the big mistake was going for two after the first touchdown rather than, thank you. Rather than Thank taking you. the seven, because it doesn't affect the score at the end of the day. It's not like you're one score down. You're still two score downs, whether you kick the extra point and you go up, you know, you go seven to 17 or whether you go eight, 17. So you might as well take the for sure points. And if they do, then you look back at the end of the game and you say to yourself, instead of having to go for it or go for two, all I got to do is kick an extra point and we go into overtime, worst case scenario. So I think there's a little bit of frustration, not only you know, with the players and their ineptness, but I think he's becoming frustrated with his own decision-making sometimes too. Are you surprised that Doug doesn't have a more definitive voice in his ear 
the way he did in 2017 uh, to give him some insight, maybe some extra knowledge in terms of what to do in certain situations? Because I think that's a glaring weakness in terms of the overall offensive structure. Well, I guess, you know, there's two parts of that, D, that you can look at. Um, The unfortunate thing for the Philadelphia Eagles, and it was probably bound to happen at some point in time, um, the unfortunate thing was Josh McDaniels pulling his hat out of the ring for the job in Indianapolis, which led to um, um, Frank Reich getting a head coaching job. Now, and, And I'm for guys being able to elevate and move on, but that was a major loss, even more than John D. Filippo, in my opinion. But at the other end of the spectrum, you know, I think it created a situation where Doug had total control and his decision-making process along the way has denoted that because he hasn't brought in a guy who he really, Mm -hmm. really, really respects, you know, their, their voice, because I've said it many times. I think that Frank Reich has always been, was the voice of a reason for Doug when Doug gets kind of out of whack in his play calling and he's calling too many play passes that, you know, Frank Reich was a guy that had that kind of cachet and that kind of respect from Doug that when he said, hey, we, you know, we're out of balance here. We need to rein it. We need to balance it out, that he would listen. But when you go and you bring in a Press Taylor, a Mike Rowe, and some of the other guys that he's brought in over the years, and there's been a lot of turnover, you know, since those other two guys departed, I don't really see guys who really have that kind of cachet, to have that, that kind of voice that can say to Doug, hey, you know, things aren't right. We need to do this or make suggestions. Because he is the head, he is the head coach, the Super Bowl winning coach, you know. And who are those guys to to question that? Where Frank didn't care. It's like, dude, I played the game just like you. Yeah. I brought a team back from the depths of you know um, playoff hell. Uh, I know what I'm talking about, you know. So when I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you as an equal, not as someone who's you're up here and I'm down here. Uh, I want to get to your expertise, the defensive side of the football, in just a moment. I want to go to the offense, and we're looking at the emergence of a lot of players we never thought would be prominent players for these Philadelphia Eagles in terms of players emerging out of desperation. Uh, A guy named Kroom catches a touchdown in the Ravens game. Travis Fogum continues to impress a lot of people in a lot of ways and so on and so forth. John Hightower still has some work to be done, but he has potential. When you're at a point of a season like this, and nobody will admit it publicly because, number one, they're in the worst division of football, so they're still very much in it. But number two, you get a great opportunity early in the season and for the remainder of this season to look at some players you may have to rely on in 2021 because of the Eagles' cap situation. They're so far over the cap, you're going to have to maybe gut this team in a lot of ways, and a lot of your answers for the future in terms of getting younger to get better in the long term are already in-house. Listen, it could be a blessing in disguise. Um, that things are playing out the way that they're playing out. No, no one who's truly an Eagles fan really wants to see the, this team go through what they're going through right now. But what you're talking about, salary cap-wise, going into next year is yep. a reality. Um, there's a lot of players, a lot of household names, a lot of Super Bowl champions on this roster that yep. will no longer be Philadelphia Eagles next year. And how do you replace those guys? And the Eagles haven't really done a great job um, of replenishing via the draft, you know. So now what you're doing is they're they're kind of being forced 
you know, to play some guys because of injuries. And these guys are going to get experience and they're going to get, you know, they're going to get an opportunity to grow with Carson, you know, for, for most of the year. Because let's just be real. You know, Jason Peters is not going to come back and give you the rest of the season. He's going to get right again. You know, Deshaun Jackson ain't going to come back and give you, you know, 10, 11 games. He's going to get injured again. You just yeah. know what's going to happen, <laughs> you know. So what's happening is these guys are getting the opportunity to shine. And I think that it's in their best interest that as these young guys shine, that you give them the opportunity to continue to shine. Yep. You know, Jordan Mailata shouldn't have to step back just because Jason Peters comes back. Thank you. If he's playing well, he should stay in there and play. Think about moving JP, you know, to, uh, you know, back to guard and bringing that salary cap back down. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. They can't, they can't, they can't, they can't go, to, go back down. But I would say move him back to guard so you have some depth there because you're getting good production there. Um, you know, a guy like Travis Fogram, how do you take him off the field? Even with Deshaun and Alshon coming back, how do you take him off the field? Somebody's going to have to sit down. You know, somebody's going to have to step back. But I would say, you know, that these guys deserve, you know, the opportunity to continue to grow because are you going to bring Alshon back next year? Probably not. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to eat that salary. Are you going to bring Deshaun back next year? No, you're probably going to cut that salary. You know, so some of these guys have got to go. You might as well let these guys get all the experience that they can get because they're going to be relied upon to play next year and into the future. How do you explain the demise of Zach Ertz this season? Coming into the game against the, against the Ravens, the man had a total of 15 receiving yards the previous two games. He wasn't a primary target again in, in, in the Ravens game. And people, some people say, well, he's double teamed. Wait a minute now, because George Kittle gets double teamed. Travis Kelsey gets double teamed. If you're one of the best of the best and you want to be paid like one of the best of the best, you find a way to get over open. But we've seen him drop a few passes he normally doesn't drop. And a lot of times you look at the stats and say, wait a minute, where, where was Ertz today? And, and I, I'm, I, I hate to use the term, but I think we're slowly watching the demise of Zach Ertz in the Philadelphia Eagles offense. Well, I, I believe that's probably true as well. I think there's a couple of things at play. I think that Zach Ertz got into his own head early in the season with his comments um, about his contract. You know, and what players have to realize, listen, you got two years left on your contract. You can ask for, you know, an extension. You can ask for them to rework it. But the truth of the matter is when you sign a contract, you sign a contract. And if the team doesn't want to sign you, there's nothing you could do but go out and prove that you're worth, you know, a an extension. And when the time comes that you either get the extension or you move on in some other team, gives you the extension. That's that's the first issue. Get out of your own way and realize that they don't owe you that. The second part is, is that um, I don't see the continuity between he and Carson that I've seen in the past. Something's right. off. The chemistry is off. And, and I think a lot of what it is, D-Gun, is that Zach Ertz, in, in, in today's NFL, is not, is not a very um, – it's not a very prominent thing to do to get up and jam tight ends at the at the at the line of scrimmage because teams don't want to miss and leave let guys you know get a step and get up the field. So most of the time they give a guy a free release and they try to run with him. What you've seen with Zach Ertz over the last couple of weeks is teams are getting up in his face. You know, even if he's even if he's lined up outside, they're getting up in his face and they're trying to jam him at the line of scrimmage to throw off the timing of routes. 
And Zach hasn't been used to seeing that type of look. So when he comes off the line, he just comes off the line. They're just beating him up off the line and it's throwing off the timing. When he's supposed to be at five yards, he's at three. You know, so now Carson's got to wait for him to get there. What I saw in Sunday's game, though, is I seen a more aggressive Zach Ertz off the line of scrimmage. Okay. I seen him fighting guys, using his hands, using, you know, being a little more physical because that's what Kelsey and that's what Kittles does, you know, when guys make the decision to get up on them, they they beat them up off the line of scrimmage. Like you as a receiver, you don't have to just take that. You know, you have the flexibility, you have the right to your passage, and you have the right to fight with your hands and your body to create separation. And I think that that's some of the things that you saw out of, out, of, out, of, out of Zach Ertz on Sunday that allowed him to catch a few more balls than he's he's caught over the last few weeks. And I think if he continues to do that, then he'll start to get back to being the Zach Ertz that we knew. Now you can either force the Eagles' hand to either extend you or deal you at the at the deadline you know, for, for some, you know, for some, some, some draft capital, because to be honest with you, they can't afford to pay him what they're paying Kittles and, 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 and Kelsey. They just can't, yeah. you know, and rightfully so is he worth it when he's at the top of his game? He is just as good as those guys in the passing game, but he just doesn't block. So somebody out there may be willing to pay him that it's not going to happen in Philadelphia. He, he, he'll never admit it publicly, but you've been around the game a long time. Do you obviously think the money matters uh, are affecting his overall play? I don't think the money the money is what's affecting his play. I think he feels um, disrespected. I think he feels slighted. Um, as, a, as Carson Wentz's main target over the years, I mean, what, he set a franchise record or record yep. tight ends a couple of years ago in receptions. You know, he caught the winning touchdown, you know, in Super Bowl 52. You know, I feel like, you know, sometimes as as players, you know, we lose vision of, you know, what's really true, that this is a business, okay? And even though no matter how much they profess to love you, it's always a business, you know? So you've got to learn how to separate the, the, the relational part of it from the business part of it. Because they're going to they're gonna talk all oh, family and team and we're in this together. They're always going to say those things because they want to they they build and generate that type of culture because it's important for you to have that kind of culture in order for you to win. But when it comes down to business, it's a whole nother tenor. It's a whole nother discussion that goes on. And as a player, you've got to learn how to separate the two. And right now, I think more than anything, his feelings are hurt that the Eagles don't respect him enough and what he's done enough to give him an extension. I mentioned a young man's name a moment ago, Travis Fulgham. Uh, comes from out of nowhere. You, you, you read his story on how he got to the NFL. It's an incredible journey, especially when you consider he was cut three times uh, by the Lions, the Packers, and even the Eagles. When you look at this young man and how he's emerged over the past few weeks in particular, what jumps out to you about what he's been able to do? Everything. Uh-huh. Every, everything about his game. He is the quintessential wide receiver that the Philadelphia Eagles have never had, they, that they haven't had since T.O., okay? He is the guy that runs good routes, okay? He is the guy that has enough speed and runs good enough routes to get to create separation and get open. He doesn't body catch the ball. He catches the ball with his hands. 
He can elevate and go up and get the ball. Now, have they had some guys that give them that? When Deshaun is healthy, he's the guy that can take the top off the defense. When Alshon is healthy, he can catch the 50-50 balls and jump up over anybody. Um, I'm trying to think because I don't really think Greg Ward, he he, he can give you good route running. Mm-hmm. Okay. But when you talk about Travis Fulton, he's the complete package. And D, the other thing that I like about him the most is he's physical. Yeah. He's physical. He doesn't he doesn't you can run up and try to, you know, chop him at the legs. He's strong enough to run through those types of deals. You can try to be physical with him at the line of scrimmage. He'll get with you and fight you at the line of scrimmage. The, the thing that troubles me about the Eagles is that over the last four or five years, they've had first-round draft picks where they had the ability and the opportunity, I should say, to draft a guy like that. We can bring up Terry McLaurin. We can drink, bring up um, A.J. Brown. We can bring up D.K. Metcalf. All of these are guys that possess those, those qualities, and they passed on those guys, you know, in the most in the craziest of ways, and here they get a guy that falls to him out of nowhere with all of those intangibles that other teams miss the boat on. Um, so when you ask me what do I like about him, I like everything about him. And what he, the thing I like about him the most is that he understands that this is an opportunity mm-hmm. for him to make a name for himself, and he's grabbing the bull by the horns, and he's not letting go. And he's going to make the Eagles make some tough decisions and even if he's not in the picture down the road and the yep. Eagles decide to move on, he's already set himself up for other teams because there's 31 other teams watching the same film and they see what you and I see. They see it, man. And he's going to have himself a place in the NFL. Their most electric player on offense, Miles Sanders, didn't get to finish the Ravens game. He got injured. But when you look at his stats prior to that, he had a grand total of 10 touches. Yeah, that, that's inexcusable for a guy uh, of, of that caliber. And it continues week in and week out. The game before, he doesn't play on a key drive. In a game like this, where you utilize his skills, and you see two weeks in a row, he takes he breaks off a big gainer for over 70 yards. How shocked are you that, that, that Doug continues to underutilize his skills? Well, listen, this is the exact reason why, you know, I always get into it, you know, with our good friend Barrett Brooks, because he's like, oh, you know, he's going to be the bell cow this year. Doug said, I'm like, he ain't going to be no bell cow. The Eagles have always, they have always been running back by committee. They will always be running back by committee because as long as I can remember, I don't think a running back ever averaged over 16 to 18 carries a game. And I think that there is some kind of metric because they are highly data um, analytics driven. I think there's some kind of data out there that shows that once they hit 16 to 18 touches, that the probability of them getting injured goes up dramatically. Now, in Miles' case, he got injured. He missed all the training camp. He missed the first game of the season. So I don't think he's really in shape. And he's been getting nicked here and there over, you know, over the five-game span that he played. But when he has played, he's been electric. I mean, he ripped off a 74-yarder last yep. week. Ripped yep. off a 74-yarder Sunday. Um, 100 yards rushing on Sunday. 95 back-to-back. You know, and we're talking about minimal touches. Now, does he? do you want to give him more touches? Absolutely. But when you give him more touches and he gets hurt, then that's problematic. So they either got to figure out a way to get him in shape, which is hard to do once the season starts, 
or they've got to pull back his numbers and try to get the most that they can get out of him. And then they've got to find a second guy that can give them, uh, you know, everyone was against Le'Veon Bell. And I'm like, go get him, go get him. When, when, when he got cut, I'm like, go get him, go get him. Yeah. You know, because all he wants to do is play and have an opportunity. In this type of system, because they are running back by committee, those six to ten touches that he would get, he could be electric. And everybody's like, oh, he don't have anything left in the tank. He's washed up, blah. I'm like, stop it, man. He yeah. played for the New York Jets. That's a big, it's a big difference going from the Pittsburgh Steelers and their tradition and what they stand for and going to play for the New York Jets. If you think this guy, 28 years old, has nothing left in the tank, you're crazy. Watch what he does. Watch what Andy does with him in Kansas City. Yeah. The rich get richer. You know, I, I look at the franchise quarterback, Carson Wentz, and early on in the season, everybody was down on him. People want to run him out of town. More interceptions than we're accustomed to see him throwing early on in the season. Indecisive overthrows, missing wide-open targets. But these last two games against two of the better defenses in the league, he got tattooed in both of these games. And I mean tattooed to the point where it would make a lot of quarterbacks see ghosts in a lot of ways. And he gets up, he keeps fighting. He, it's like he's taking it upon himself to try to put this team on the back. Now, obviously, he's at a severe deficit with the offensive line and, and handcuffed by some of the le- weapons who are still learning their way through mm-hmm. the NFL ranks. But all of a sudden, you know, and all the verbal criticism he's taken since the start of the season, I like what I'm starting to see in Carson Wentz getting back to that warrior that we saw last year and prior to that. Well, I think part of it, you know, I, I think there's a couple of things here, D, that's at play. Um, you cannot underscore when you go through the type of injuries that he went through, the effect that it has on you psychologically mm-hmm. and mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, the body can heal itself. The mind is a much tougher um, organ to heal because of its memory than any, than any body part that you possess. So when he goes through a torn ACL and a, and a torn LCL, um, it's one thing to come back and feel like that's 100%. It's another thing to step with that left foot up in the pocket and plant that foot and let it fly. It's another thing to take off out of the pocket, you know, and play reckless like you played, you know, in the past. It, it's, it's a big difference. And I think that, you know, towards the end of last year, we begin to see some of that. But I also think that, you know, with the lack of preseason and OTAs and all of those things that he may might have fallen back into some of the apprehension about the about the injuries. Yeah. Now, you throw a second round draft pick, um, what is it, 53rd pick overall into mm-hmm. the mix. Um, a guy, you know, who on Sunday, you know, looked phenomenal, looked like a running back with the look like he, he looked like um, Lamar Jackson, you know, with some of those moves he was putting on. I think that he flipped the he flipped the switch for Carson Wentz because when he came in and got those runs and started making those plays, now all of a sudden every you could almost hear the Nick Foles effect all over again. Oh, we got a quarterback controversy. Oh, we need to put you know Jalen yeah. Hurts in the game. Yeah, you know, there's nothing like competition to raise the the level of play across the board. So. When he looks at what Jalen Hurts is doing, and let's go back to the to, to the week before, he had one pass attempt, and he zipped that bad boy in there for 18 yards. 
Now, you know he can throw the ball. Now you add what he did, you know, Sunday to the mix. Yeah, you could have a quarterback controversy if he doesn't start stepping up. So I think it's a combination of those things. It's a combination of him realizing that, you know what, the heat is on, okay? Um, I've got to get past this mental hurdle of injury, and I've just got to get back to being myself. You know, Ike Reese always talks about let the Bronco buck. You know, just let Carson be Carson. And I think that, you know, in order for him to be the quarterback that we expect for him to be, that he has to play that way. You can't make him a pocket passer. You got to get him on the move. You got to allow allow him to do the things that he's doing. You got to allow him to just be himself, not run out there and slide like most quarterbacks. That's not his game. That's not who he is. That's not what made us fall in love with him, you know, when he got 12 wins in 2017 for the team before he got injured. He just got to get back to being himself. Two questions in one. Are you a fan of the gadget play? And number two, should there be even more plays for Jalen Hurts and this Eagles offense in a game similar to what New Orleans does with Taysom Hill? I'm a fan of gadget plays, D, when they're unexpected. Okay. Okay. The problem with gadget plays with guys like Taysom Hill and guys like um, um, Jalen Hurts is the minute that they come in in the game, Smart defenses, their antennas go up. You know that something's up right away, okay? So for Taysom Hill to be doing what he's doing, that just blows my mind. Because from a defensive standpoint, haven't you prepared for that? Haven't you have you seen everything that he could possibly do? You know he can throw the ball now, you know? So why do teams continue to get beat by, you know, some of these gadget plays that they run? The same thing happens, you know, with 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 uh, with – with Jalen Hurts, okay? So in the game on Sunday, Jalen Hurts took a snap. Carson Wentz was lined up out to the right. He stepped back, threw the ball to Carson, and then took off. The defensive end sniffed it out, you know, made him change his course even after he caught the ball. So if you can figure out a way to do it, you know, in a manner that catches teams off guard, I don't have a problem with it. Um, it's, the problem is when you play against smart good discipline um, defenses, then they don't get fooled by nonsense like that because you know what they do? They play their responsibility and they stay home. And if you play your responsibility and you stay home across the board, all 11 guys, trick plays don't work against defenses like that. You, you, you look at this offensive line and it is a mess right now. And, and I don't know if, if Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes could function uh, properly behind this offensive line. But when you look at the offensive line coupled with the amount of injuries that this team has had, last two games they've put up 28 and 29 points against two very good defenses, which tells me as bad as it looks record-wise, when help gets back, this team could still do some damage before it's all said and done. Well, I think so. But, you know, you make a good point. 28 and 29 points, what does that tell you? You lose both of those games. I know. The, the, I know. Defense, the defense is not holding up their end of the bargain because if you score 28, 29 points in back-to-back weeks, more times than not, you would say to yourself, those are, you know, you're 2-0 over that span, but they're not. Um, you know, when you get some of those guys back, listen, if they're healthy, if they're 100%, if they're explosive, if they're back to themselves, 
then yeah, you know, we thought from the beginning of the season that this offense had the potential to be a, a, a juggernaut. They had to be in in relation to what Dallas, you know, was was doing because you knew you were probably going to have to score every single possession in order to match what they were doing. Um, so I'm not it it, it 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 wouldn't surprise me. But the greater concern, in my opinion, is Jim Schwartz and his defense. Yeah. Does Jim Schwartz need to go? Listen, man, there is nothing about Jim Schwartz that reverberates with the defensive lineage, the defensive history. Um, the I'm trying to find the right adjective right here because, you know, this yeah. is my wheelhouse. Just the mentality of Philadelphia. Okay, he made a statement last week that, you know, it's not in our lexicon to, you know, to back up. I'm like, what the heck did he mean? Come on, man. I mean, you, you, this coming from the guy that when it's third, third and 20, that you line up in your sticks defense and give up 15 yards of real estate, that's not in your lexicon of, yeah, come on, man. You know, there's nothing about him. And, and and people try to defend him with, oh, you know, if he had the players, he would do this, he would do that. No, no, no. In the beginning of the season, you know, when he had full strength, he had all his defensive players right there, all his starters right there, he was still playing that way. Now, there's times where he becomes aggressive, but he becomes aggressive only when you force his hand. There's nothing wrong with trying to get your, your opponents behind the sticks on first down. Mm-hmm. Where's the first down run blitz? Okay, when you anticipate that they, they anticipate that they're going to run, where is your where was the disguise last week? You know, uh, against Pittsburgh, you know, uh, in the most crucial point of the game, third and eight. Okay, there was no disguise whatsoever. Nate Gary was lined up on Claypool, and there and everybody in the stadium and everybody watching, all the millions of people watching it knew what was coming. Where was the ingenuity and the you know, and 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 the and this and the disguise in that situation. Furthermore, where was the check to get them out of that defense mm-hmm. so that that matchup doesn't become a liability? So when you ask, you know, is he the guy? I don't listen. He hasn't been the guy. You know, the Eagles won the Super Bowl in spite of 500 yards of total offense from Tom Brady. Okay. They won a lot of games in spite of. Now, do they play some great football in spots? Absolutely. But dominant, they are not. Because all the resources have been put on the defensive line and the right corner, and they've lacked in every other position to either go out and bring in the talent or develop the talent that they've, that they've drafted. Yep. Okay? And, that's going, and that will continue to hurt them you know, and then you throw, you sprinkle in there, you know, some consistent um, injuries and it just exacerbates it and makes it that much more. And people will say, well, you know, he can't do what he really wants to do because of injury. Well, you know what? At some point in time, you know, you can either cut me a thousand times, you, you know, and I bleed out or you can just stab me in the heart one time. I'd rather one, one, one stab. I don't want to be cut a million times. It is mind boggling how this organization continues to bypass the linebacking position with this team. And again, we've just watched two teams in a span of eight days where the defense is, is predicated around the linebacker play and they have some outstanding linebackers. Can you give me your best estimation why this team doesn't value the linebacker like a lot of teams do? Well, I think part of it is because, um, you know, Howie Roseman is a Joe Banner disciple to begin with. 
And this was Joe Banner's position that the linebacker linebacking position, we can go and find them. Okay. The Eagles didn't draft. I, did they draft? I think the Eagles did draft Jeremiah, didn't they? Yeah. Okay. So they, they drafted him, but I think they drafted him somewhere like in the third or fourth round. Um, and it was their opinion that, you know, we can find guys, we can develop guys. And when you have a coaching staff like Jim Johnson's coaching staff, you're darn right you can, you can develop them because you have the type of coaches that can develop. But moving forward, you know, when you don't have the type of defensive coordinators with the staff, with the linebackers coaches that can develop raw talent, then you're going to suffer if you don't spend um, draft resources on bona fide guys that you know that are going to be successful. And we passed on a lot of, a lot of, you know, so now what, 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 what's the formula? The formula is to put the resources in the defensive line and hope that they can wreak enough havoc and create enough mismatch problems, on, you know, up front that you can cover up these guys behind, that they have enough speed to just run to the ball and make plays. But when that's not the case and these guys have got to take on blocks, I mean, I got clip after clip after clip just watching these linebackers. They Listen, they don't have linebacker instincts, you know, because the majority of them are special teams players, okay? Mm-hmm. And then – some of the guys that are starters, you got a guy like Nate Gary. He doesn't have linebacker instincts because he's really not a linebacker. He's a safety, you know, so they don't know where to look and what to read and how to react and how what blocking schemes are trying to accomplish in front of them. And, you know, when they give you a fake one way and they pull back the other way, what is it that, try, that they're trying to accomplish? Mm-hmm. If, if you don't have the instincts, you're already behind the eight ball. If you're a young kid, and you don't have a coach that really understands how to coach the position beyond X's and O's that can teach you basic fundamentals and technique and how to and train your eyes the right way and how to look for the right things, then how are these guys supposed to develop? Because as a young player, I know from experience, my improvement is based solely upon the knowledge level of the coaches that I play for. If they don't know nothing, they can't teach me nothing. If they know a lot, then they can teach me a lot. Then it's up to me to take what they teach me and master it and perfect it and to ingrain it in my in, in, in how I play. Then I can become the player that I need to be. But I, I, call, I question whether these coaches have the wherewithal to train these young linebackers to teach them how to really play the position. Do you think they should have moved Jalen Mills back to cornerback? I know that it was out of necessity, but should they have left him at safety and inserted somebody else opposite Darius Slay? I think that they moved him because they trust him. You know, I, listen, I don't even trust him. <laughs> I listen, Derek, I'll tell you what, man. What what and and you you bring up a good point. But they know that he knows the position and he knows what he's supposed to do. They know that he's going to compete. They know that, you know, hey, he might lose some battles, but, you know, he's got a short-term memory. Um, A lot of it just depended upon how long Avante Maddox was going to be out. And once they made the decision that he was going to be out an extended period of time, they made the move probably anticipating that, hey, even though Will Parks is out, he'll be back soon. Sunday he was reactivated. 
Um, and then, you know, Kavon Wallace is a guy they drafted, you know, in the third round. They yeah. anticipated that he would be ready to step into that role. I always thought that, you know, that this was a possibility that could happen. I thought that Jalen Mills' safety was more of an experiment than anything else. If Avante, if Avante Maddox struggled, if Jalen Mills couldn't get right at safety, right. they could always switch him back, and they had enough assets, you know, at the safety position between um, Parks Wallace and um, trying to think. There's one more guy at the safety position. Um, Epps. Epps. And yep. There's even another guy. I, I, the name. I, I, Will they, Parks. They, well, they they had enough assets there right, that they could right. plug somebody else in and move Jalen Mills back to corner. All right, I want you to put your coaching hat on for just a moment. Seth Joyner is the defensive coordinator of the current Philadelphia Eagles. We have watched them make plays. We have watched an abundance of misplays, misassignments, missed tackles, giving up big chunks of yardage in key situations. Seth Joyner takes his defense into the locker room, and what do you tell him? Well, I, 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 I tell him that, you know, there are times that we have to be aggressive. There's times we have to be uber-aggressive. And you know what? You're just going to have to drop them and get it done, okay? And then there's times where, we, where we're going to look aggressive, but we're going to be passive. But we're never going to give the message that we're passive. I just don't believe in playing defense from a passive standpoint, okay? And if, you're, if, if, I, if I call a defense that requires you to get up and jam a guy at the line of scrimmage, well, you know, mm-hmm. you damn better well get your hands on him. I don't, I don't care if you miss. Don't be out there playing scared. See, the problem with our defense, in my opinion, is that because Jim Schwartz has a passive mindset, that that kind of, you know, filters off onto the players and it makes them passive. And when you're passive, there's not an aggressive mindset about you. So everything right. you do, everything you do, you're kind of walking on eggshells because you don't want to make mistakes. When I look at Darius Slay play, you can tell he plays with uber confidence, okay, no matter what they ask him to play. And there's times where they ask him to play off where, you know, and a guy catches the ball 10 yards in front of him, he comes up and makes the tackle. He hates that, but that's the way that Jim is asking him to play it, okay? But what I want from my guys and then what I want from my linebackers, listen, if you got a guy out the backfield, don't wait for him to come to you. Go up there and take your shot. Go up and take away the inside, give him a one-way go, jam him, throw off the timing, now turn and run with it, okay? We're not going to play scared. And to me, sometimes, you know, a a passive-minded coach can make his players play scared. He can make them play passive. No, we're not going to do that, okay? We're going to play aggressive, and we're going to live with the results. Because what I do know is that, you know, if I got a guy that's aggressive, guess what? He's confident. And if he's confident, he's going to go out and play confident. He's going to make some plays. He's going to give up some plays. But that's the nature of the game. I would much rather, I would much rather live that way from a defense, defensive perspective than to play passive and then later on look at, look at the film and be like, man, I could have got up on that guy two more yards. A man, I could have jammed that guy at the wire at, at the line of scrimmage and threw off the entire timing of that fade route, and they wouldn't have had a play. But that's the way he coaches. And, and for me, I would never coach a defense that way. Now, would you have relayed that message as calmly as you just relayed it right now? 
or would Seth Joyner have relayed the message to his defensive players the way coaches relayed messages to you guys when you played the game? No, I listen. I'm if if I was to become a coach, I get it. I understand. You know, I understand Jeffrey Lurie's mandate. You know that intel, emotional intelligence has to be something. You know that, but I also realize that not all players are wired the same. Okay, so there are some players that you can kick in the ass, D. You know, yep. and some yep. players, some players need to be kicked in the ass. There are other players you got to pat them on the back and you got to pat them on the behind rather than, you know, kicking them in the behind. OK, so you there's a way to send messages to players without having to, you know, lose a player because that's what they're afraid of. They're afraid that if you do it the old school way, if you do it the Chip Kelly way, you know, that, you know, you're going to lose your team. You're going And once you lose your team, that means you're going to lose your job. But no. There are certain players, okay? Uh, uh, Darius Slay is a guy that I know that, you know, Jim Schwartz can chew him out and he's going to be he gonna be better for him, okay? Yep. I know that Brandon Graham is a guy that, you know, Jim Schwartz can chew out and he's going to be better for him. Can you do that with Derek Barnett? Maybe not. Can you do that, you know, with, with Rodney McLeod? Probably not. Could he do that with Malcolm Jenkins? Probably so you pick your spots and you pick out how you motivate the entire defense through certain players because you know that those players can take it. And furthermore, you go to those players and you tell them, hey, I'm coming at you. And yeah. I'm, but I'm coming at you because I'm trying to send a message. Because if I go to everybody that way, I might lose this guy and I need him. I'm trying to motivate him through, through you. And then I may go to that guy and I may pat him on his back. I may pat him on his behind and I may express the same thing in a much more calm, a much more docile way to get my message across. I've known you for a long time. I worked with you for a long time. And through the years, I've seen consistently on social media, Seth Joyner should be a defensive coordinator. Seth Joyner should be in the front office. Seth Joyner should be scouting. Why are you not in the NFL in some capacity? I, I don't understand why you're not utilizing your expertise and all your inner knowledge to help somebody's team, if not the Philadelphia Eagles, somebody's team better themselves in the National Football League. Derek, listen to me. The Philadelphia Eagles know where I am. You know, that that would be my preferred choice sure. to, to come back, you know, and give my knowledge, give my passion to the organization that I love the most. Okay? So they, they know where I am. But I think that my, my personality for today's coaching style and for, day, for, for today's um, head coaches and defensive coordinators and the minds is just a little too raw for them. You know, at the end of the day, the game of football is a raw game. You know, you can deny something. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's the truth. The truth will stand at all times, no matter how much you try to diminish it or how much you try to lie about it. It's the truth. Okay? So, Sometimes people like Jack Nicholson said, you know, and a few good men, they can't handle the damn truth. Yeah. You know? So if that's my personality, that's my personality. I'm not coming at Howie in a disrespectful way. I'm not coming at the scouting department in a disrespectful way. I wouldn't even come at Jim Schwartz in a disrespectful way. Okay. But my opinions are my opinions. And if I can't be somewhere where I can express my opinions, there's no need for me to be there because I can only hold so much blood in my mouth and bite my tongue, man. Mm -hmm. That's just, that's just who I am. You know, my passion is what would help make me, I think, a good coach, a good assistant GM, 
a good scout, a good talent evaluator, because I know talent when I see it, you know. But the truth is the truth. I'm not trying to come in and take nobody's job. I'm not trying to come in and steal nobody's glory. All I want to do is be a part of what helps. But in order for me to do that, I got to be true to me. And if I can't be true to me, then I'm, I'm, I'm of no service to anybody because I don't play those games. You answer the question exactly the way I thought you would, but in some ways when you sit back and you look at where you are right now, are you perplexed in some ways surprised that you are not in the league in some capacity for somebody? Well, I think so. I, you know, but, but then again, you know, you got to chase that thing. You know, you got you to gotta really bang on doors and you really got to ask and you really got to force the issue. You know, I I did the whole coaching intern thing for a year in Buffalo. And, you know, every coach on the defensive staff, you know, you know, went to my defense and told Rex, hey, you know, we got to keep this guy. We need this guy. You know, and, and Rex was like, hey, you know, I don't have any more spots. And, you know, so, you know, that didn't work out. Um, so there's people out there that know, um, but I'm not the type of guy. That I'm, I'm not going to beg for anything. You know, you want me to beg to give you my passion, my knowledge, my expertise, and what I know about the game. You want me to beg to, to be able to do that. That makes no sense because if I'm qualified, you know, to do so in, in some capacity and you yeah. realize that, then you see me as an asset. So I shouldn't have to beg. If I ask, that's one thing. And it's not like I haven't asked. You know, if I ask, that's one thing. But I'm not going to ask more than once. I'm not going to beg anybody for anything. I don't need it that bad. Would I love to do it? Absolutely. But I'm not begging anybody for anything. My credentials should stand on their own. Mm. Well, like a lot of us, you're in a podcast podcast game. And tell me what you like about it. And what have you found, I don't want to say frustrating, but obstacles along the way as you've made the transition now to more of a media mogul, so to speak? Well, what I love about it, D, is it's mine. Yep. Yep. And I can say what the hell I want to say, how I want to say it, when I want to say it. <laughs> and, and, and you know me, because yep. everybody everybody believes that I'm a little long-winded, I can say it as long as I want to say it. You know, that's, that's what I love about it. You know, I got control. There's nobody in my IFB when I'm in, on my podcast telling me, hey, cut, we got to go to break. Hey, you know, stop there. There's yep. none of that. You know, if I got a thought, I get to finish my thought. Whatever question I want to ask my guest, I ask. I can ask my guest. You know, the, the the thing that's most frustrating about it is how to grow it. You know, yep. how can I get more people to 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 know? You know what Seth Joyner is doing. How do I, yep. how can I get more people? How can I educate more people about the game that I love? Because in a lot of ways, that's the way I see it. That's why I enjoy what I do, whether yep. it's on TV or whether it's my podcast. I enjoy doing it. Because the response that I get from a lot of people is, man, I didn't know that. You taught me something. I yep. learned something about the game, you know. And it's the same way with coaching. That's why I would love coaching because I get to take 13 years of experience. I get to take my experience with Buddy Ryan and Bud Carson and Fritz Shermer and, um, and, and Wade Phillips and Jeff Fisher. I get to take all of that experience, man, and pass it on to somebody else. And, and have them have the opportunity to learn what those guys poured into me, I get to pour it into somebody else, you know? So that's what I love about it is that this game that I love, this game that I am as passionate about today as I was when I was 20 years old and drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles, 
I get an opportunity to share it with everybody. The most frustrating thing is, how do I get to share it with even yeah. more people? See, I, I'm not, not surprised you answered the question that way. And, and I'm going to tell on you just a little bit here because, uh, you know, you and I used to work on the Eagles postgame and pregame shows together. And you could hear producers telling you, all right, 30 seconds, 20 seconds. A minute later, Seth is still talking. 90 seconds later, Seth is still talking. Seth Joyner is going to say what he wants to say and get it out in his, his way, shape, or form. He don't care what anybody tells him at that particular time. <laughs> It all depends on it all depends on D how important it is. If I feel like it's an important point or we're in some type of debate, because people like to do that. They like to throw stuff out there and make their point. And then and then as you're trying to answer the question and you're trying to make your argument, they want to cut you off and go to break. No, no. <laughs> they got bills they, to pay, man. No, you ain't because you ain't coming back. You ain't coming back. Take something off the end of the show. You don't need to cut me off. Let me make my point. Well, I know one thing. Uh, I have enjoyed listening to your podcast, and, and through the years, I've learned a lot from you. Uh, I, I thought I knew a lot about football, but you've taken my football knowledge to a whole nother level. And uh, once again, for everybody out there, uh, you, I, I advise you to watch, to listen to the Seth Joyner Show. It is live on Tuesday nights at 7.30, live on Facebook and live on YouTube at Seth Joyner. My man, thank you so much for spending some time with Gun on One. I can't thank you enough. And don't don't go too far because I'm going to hit you up again down the road later in this season to talk more Eagles football and football in general as we watch this season develop. Brother, you know that um, you know how I feel about you, man. You like you like a brother to me. So I anytime, anytime I get your text, anytime I get your call, you know you can count on me. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll be there. And I, and I just want to tell your viewers, you know, I got a special show for y'all on Tuesday. I got B-Doc and Troy Vincent coming oh. on together. It is going to be straight fire. So um, you don't want to miss it. But, um, hey, listen, man, I, I learned a lot about the broadcasting business, man, working with you for five years, how you do it, how to be a professional, so on and so forth. Um, so, you know, as, as much as you think you've learned from me, brother, I've learned a lot from you just being around you, just watching. You wouldn't know it because I don't ever tell you, but I'm telling you now, you've been an inspiration and a mentor for me, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Coming from you means a lot to me. I, I, I tell you, the first year I got to know you, I was afraid of Seth joining. I'm like, man, this dude always looks mean. Is he ever happy? I, I, I ain't never seen a guy smile, man. I'm always happy, man. And I I'm found that out happy. later. You like you like the black Clint Eastwood, man. We don't know when you're happy, when you're mad, you know. But as I got to know you and we became closer friends, I said, you know what? That's just Seth being Seth, man. Hey, the best thing is, man, you out. You got to always keep them wondering, man. <laughs> if, 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 if you keep them, if you always keep them wondering, it's always interesting, man. I get people come up, hey, you know, I was scared to talk to you. I'm like, what did you think I was gonna do? Bite you? You know, put my helmet and my shoulder pads on and run through you. What did you think? Oh, you, you're you're a nice guy, real conversation. Well, come over and have a conversation to get to know me instead of the perception that you think that I am. Listen, I live a blessed life, man. I got, you yeah. know, great kids, you know, a great woman. Life is good, man. What do I got to be mad about? But I can't change yeah. this look that the man yeah. above put on me. It is what it is. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, he is the one. 
and only Seth Joyner. I want to thank everybody out there for uh, riding along with the uh, Gun on One podcast once again this week. And, of course, uh, next week we'll be back with another special guest. So until then, everybody out there, be blessed. And more importantly, as I tell you each and every week, go out of your way to be a blessing to somebody else. So long. Until next time. of D-Gun Enterprises in Patterson Square Garden. Elvin Shabazian and Wes Pendleton are the executive producers on behalf of Patterson Square Garden. Lead producer is Derek Gunn. Associate producer is John McNeil. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Elvin Shabazian. Original music by Weatherman. For more information about the podcast, visit gunonone.com. And please, don't forget to subscribe and give us a positive rating if you're feeling the show. Thank you. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.